0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts
1: have you checked out hot boxing with mike tyson yet if not you have to head over to their show page and listen to some episodes mike pours his soul into conversations with fascinating minds celebrities and athletes in a studio full of smoke along with his cosmic millennial sidekick even britain kid dynamite dives deep into the issues impacting us all today this show will change the way you see the world be sure to subscribe on spotify podcast one.com apple Podcasts, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Rob Mahoney of The Ringer. We have a great conversation, focuses a lot on in the early stages on his pieces about the Rockets slash Russell Westbrook and Zion slash the Pelicans, but we also get into a lot of other topics as well, including 2021 free agency, the young group of players coming into the league, and lots of other fun stuff. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. Episode runs about an hour 10. Lots of really good stuff in here. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Of course. There is a lot going on in the NBA right now, and uh, you've written about some of the interesting stories that I've been thinking about, so I think we'll we'll get through a lot of those in the course of this podcast. But I, I, the place I want to start is Houston. The Rockets have absolutely fascinated me, and you wrote about Russell Westbrook and his place in all of this— was, was that earlier this week or about a week ago? Something like that. And I, the, one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was talking about how his role, including where he catches the ball— has changed over the course of this year.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that's a pretty direct response to the double teams that Harden has seen which, you know, as James has made sure everyone knows throughout this entire year is a pretty unprecedented thing. And uh, just in terms of, you know, doubling a guy as soon as he crosses half court because he's been that good on the step back threes because he was that hot to start the season. And so when you reorient Russ's entire game to now, oh, he's not just attacking from the wing, which he does plenty, but you know catching at the top you know the top of the key inside the arc you know the kind of the top you know right at the free throw line, these spaces that are kind of a pocket within the defense, and when you start there and you 're as fast and as explosive and as strong as russell Westbrook it's I challenge anyone to be able to stand in front of that on a consistent basis just with the way he 's able to kind of juke around guys the footwork, the quickness, the agility. You know, I think when we think of athletes, we tend to want to put them in the biggest spaces possible. You know, like let's space out the court to the maximum degree. Let's get them running. You know, full court in transition. But sometimes it can be most devastating if you give them these little pockets and challenge. You know, average athletes or big men who are a little slower on their feet or people who just have a little bit slower reaction time. To be able to keep up with a guy like Russ.
1: The other part of that story is that when you narrow the area, it can make it harder to bring help, especially when two guys are often already on James Harden. It makes it very difficult to bring anybody else or for somebody to react in time, especially if Russ catches it either on the move or something close to that. And it makes it difficult for, for defenses to recover. And then another part of that same kind of... Ca- Tapestry is the necessity of getting quick capella you know out of, out of that work so you can have all guys that capably space the floor. And remember, spacing the floor isn't just the volume of or the, the percentage of threes that you hit, it's also the volume and whether a team respects a player enough to stay on them even if they're, you know something else is going on. and I think Houston moving in that direction made it harder for there to be somebody else around the basket, which has made life easier for us.
0: No, absolutely. I think your point about the defenses and their ability to recover and compensate—that's really the key of it. And you see it in you know different scales all across the league. Some teams, you know, before Ben Simmons went down with injury, we saw the Sixers running some snug pick and rolls. You know, really, you know, putting Embiid and Simmons in close quarters right around the basket, where all it takes is one step around a screen, and you're right there at the rim. And I think the Rockets have done you know a different variation of that in the sense of where Russ is catching the ball, the momentum he's catching it with, you know, we talk about this a lot with all kinds of scores, just the difference between being the guy who's dribbling the ball up and initiating the offense and having to do every step of the creation versus if you're even just catching it with a little bit of momentum, you know, coming off a screen with your defender, a half step behind you, that can be all the difference. And I think that's where we've seen the most meaningful growth for Russ who has always been a guy who has struggled with his efficiency, who's now playing some of the most efficient basketball of his career because he's taken out some of the bad shots because everything is so downhill all the time, and a lot of that has to do with the way he's catching the ball as much as anything else.
1: You also brought up what I think is a a really interesting test case. Obviously, it's only a two-game sample, but the success that Westbrook has had against the Jazz and and Rudy Gobert, Gobert, a serious contender for Defensive Player of the Year again, and the intuition for some people, and, and I would put myself largely in this group. I As I have for other guys, including Giannis, though what Russ and Giannis aren't the same same player, is that going bigger in terms of defending them creates more pockets to kind of make things work defensively than to put a smaller guy because Russ is so much more athletic than those players and it's harder for them to use length to recover, things like that. And what one of the things that I've been trying to process over these last, like, two, three weeks is what the ideal counter to Russ is. And it's also so intriguing because normally something that has been working the way that this has, and, and you know it in the piece, like, over the course of the season, Russ's overall efficiency is is higher than it has been, but it, is more, it isn't at the same level as it's been the last, like, let's say, month. But so I, my first instinct was, yeah, go go really, really big. And now, like, you know, the Go Bears of the world. And now what I'm thinking is still on the big side, but maybe somebody who can move their feet a little better. Maybe a four or a four or five could, could be that solution. And one of the things that I find so interesting is also just piecing together some of the potential opponents for the Rockets in the playoffs. And how does their personnel fit this idea, whether it's right or wrong? And we don't know whether my theory of it is any better than the ones that we've seen whether that would work out
0: yeah i think the teams that are kind of in the most interesting battleground and firing lines of all this are probably you know teams like the nuggets these teams who are kind of you know in the rockets tier so to speak but don't necessarily have the same level of flexibility that a team like the clippers might for example i think if you're the clippers and you're you know facing the rockets in a playoff series you have a lot of options and some of it's just because you know Kawhi and paul george allow you to do so much you know you can play small with them if you want to which is something the Rockets' battle counts want teams to do. They want teams to go small with them because they think they're going to be better at it than everyone else, which I think there's good reason to think that that could be the case, just given their experience level and things like that. The trick is kind of the double pressure that Houston puts on you now because you want to be big, I think, for just that reason. you you know, The Rudy Gobert example, I think, is is a really interesting one because if Rudy Gobert can't stay on the floor in this matchup or can't be effective or useful or helpful – what hope do a lot of these other centers have who are more rim running types, who are more interior defenders? You know, the defensive player of the year is having trouble finding his place. It it gets really challenging to find spots for some of these other guys, which, you know, Houston has that going on. And then they also just score so efficiently that I think the instinct in some cases is you almost want to put more scoring on the floor to try to keep up with them. And so you're pulled in these in these directions at once I think is is really challenging for a lot of teams that's where you know a team like Denver comes in and you would really want to see how a guy like Nikola Jokic who's one of the best post players in the league how he would acclimate himself I think that situation is a little more advantageous for Denver than Gobert would be for Utah just because it's not so important that Jokic is involved defensively it's okay to put him on PJ Tucker or Rob Covington or whoever it is sitting on the perimeter if anything kind of resting and you know regaining his strength for the next post up the next trip down the floor the trick really is, if your most important players are big men who are defenders, the Rockets are going to neutralize those guys really effectively, and so then it becomes a matter of where you hide them. Can you get enough scoring to keep up with what's you know what already was one of the best offenses in the league, and has only been better since they've really shifted in this direction?
1: And one of the other ways that we might see teams, and I think the Clippers are going to be the forerunners of this, handle it is just by switching more aggressively and saying, we're going to have to sacrifice something, and there will be some times where we have a disadvantage, but we're it, that'll create fewer seams. I think that's one of the ideas that could be there also the Clippers just they've created this massive personnel of guys that should be able to you know kind of maybe sort of hold their own against Harden one-on-one and some of those guys could also have success against Russ but the Clippers could be the exception that proves the rule. Like Maybe conceptually, if they were in the same conference, Toronto would be an interesting test case here, too. They're they're in a little bit of a different system, but I I would be very interested to see those teams square off. And remember, a seven-game series is very different from a one-off for a bunch of different reasons. And the other dynamic that I like so much with Houston and why I think they're such a wild card in the West playoff mix is that going so far off the beaten path means that it will work better and worse against different teams. You know, like, you can get this general idea of okay, Team X and Team Y. Team X is better than Team Y, both in the abstract and in a specific matchup. But I think Houston, and I don't know all of the nuances of this yet, I feel like they're going to be, they made a much bigger jump against certain teams than others. And so I think that they are, by by all accounts, or by most accounts, let's say, to me, a team that, will de- that their success will depend on who they play. That said, my current inclination is to have the Rockets as the favorites in the West in any series other than against the L.A. teams. And, I mean, it's possible, depending on how they're looking and everything else like that, that they might, like, the current 538 projections actually have the Lakers and Clippers on the same side of the bracket. So then the Rockets could make the conference finals.
0: Yeah, I think if you're, if you're in Houston's position at the deadline or, you know, whenever this kind of decision point was, you could look at how you're going to maximize your odds for this season in a variety of ways. And you could look at, okay, what is our best chance to match up with the LA teams? What pieces do we need to get to make us more competitive against them? Or I think in this case, what they've done is they've improved their odds against almost everyone else. And so you're you're kind of pushing yourself a little further down into a potential playoff bracket by saying if we can just kind of take care of business against all these other teams that's going to put us in a position to you know see what happens against the Clippers and the Lakers see if you know we're we're really going to test these one-on-one defenders against James Harden and if he's hitting threes for a series that could it could be as simple as that because once you start doubling then the open shots start coming for everyone else so there's there's always going to be a bit of variability with them especially because they shoot so many threes And, and as you mentioned their matchups are so different from team to team but i like what they've done in that sense because i do think they've kind of stabilized their advantages against all the other teams and these these two leaders in the west in terms of you know the lakers have been the best western team all season the clippers i think are one of the best on paper teams you know they've obviously had their injury troubles But it would have been hard for Houston to match up with them or to change the roster in a way that would make them match up with those teams better. So, why not at least take what you can get against the rest of the West?
1: Right. And the other gargantuan question that we're just going to probably have to wait and see a little bit longer is how the Rockets defend those teams as well. I mean, they, against certain teams, I think that they're, especially the lower end of the West, you know, like they, in, in many ways, I think Houston did a beautiful job assuming that they could weather the strain that they're putting on some of these guys. And really, that's why they got. Damari Carroll and more players of that ilk is just to be players who can sop up some of those regular season minutes, whether or not they play in the playoffs will depend on how well things go between now and then, is whether, you know, like, so the Clippers or the Lakers, or to to an extent, you know, the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are an interesting team about what, yes, you're right on the idea that going into a shootout with those teams can be a problem, but also, can the Rockets can they get stops reliably and then something else that I want to keep an eye on for them defensively is can they avoid foul trouble because this system in some ways paralleling what happened with with the Warriors it relies heavily on having a, enough capability of like-sized guys even though Harden and Westbrook are a little bit different they they play bigger than their size and you know they have and Eric Gordon is the same cuz he's so physically strong but if Covington or Westbrook or Even Daniel House, if those guys get into foul trouble, then the pickings get significantly slimmer and some of these advantages that we've discussed start to dissipate pretty quickly. And so maybe that's one of the theories that Denver goes after is not necessarily on every possession. Okay, sometimes we are going to be trading two for three. But if we're trading two for three and we get a foul on one of your important players every third or fourth. Fifth possession, then that is a a huge advantage that we are creating. As long as some of those fouls go on the quote unquote right players,
0: yeah, or if any of those players get injured. I mean, if, right. if PJ Tucker goes down, that's kind of the ball game. If Rob Covington goes down, that's kind of the ball game. I think there's a little bit of flexibility in terms of that fifth starter spot. You know, whether it's House or Gordon or Rivers on the right night or Mclemore, like you can kind of rotate those guys through that spot. But Westbrook and Harden were obviously going to be essential to this team. But now those other two forwards who are, you know, moonlighting as centers, they're really the key that makes this whole thing potentially work. And, you know, we've seen Rob Covington as a rim protector so far. Tucker is obviously going to be really crucial in terms of guarding someone like Kawhi, like LeBron in particular. Uh, I'm sure he'll get his turns at Anthony Davis, too, because the Lakers will want to post him up. Those are really kind of the inflection points, I think, for, you know, can those guys stay on the floor, as you mentioned, through foul trouble, which is going to be hard when you're undersized. You're going to pick up maybe a foul here or there, fighting on the on the glass that you might not have gotten otherwise. Can you avoid foul trouble? Can you stay healthy? Can you, you know, get through playoff series after playoff series playing this way? It's, it's one of those things that I think you're absolutely right. We're going to have to wait and see. It's really tough to call from here. But, you know, the defense and the rebounding and really the defensive rebounding in particular, you know, the Rockets are aware that those are those are really where they're going to have to prove that this thing can work because the offense speaks for itself in a lot of ways. You know, putting a lot of space around Harden Westbrook clearly works you know, of being able to protect Harden from double teams, getting Russ going downhill. That's a model that can work. The question is the rest of it and whether, as you mentioned, you are getting those stops on a regular enough basis and if everybody can stay on the floor and stay in one piece.
1: One other thing I want to throw out there before we move on from the Rockets is an idea that this conversation has put in my head and I'm mad at myself that I hadn't thought of it earlier, which is a switch heavy system. If the opposing offense maneuvers it correctly logistically it actually can be easier to specify who gets put into difficulty and who could potentially get into foul trouble because if he, the more the more robotic and Houston system isn't always like that you know there are times when they they do risk assessments and everything else but like let's say it's Nikola Jokic if if Mike Malone wants to and is willing to take long enough in the shot clock they can probably just get it to a specific person and maybe that isn't it isn't necessarily like oh we can foul out James Harden or something like that but it's harder to avoid that if part of your ethos is to switch things aggressively you know like that that is a tendency that can be used against an opponent and it's also something that most teams don't have the nuance to do in the regular season you know there just isn't enough tactical decision making teams generally don't deviate too much from what they're doing anyway but in a seven game playoff series it would not surprise me in the least to any number of coaches with their staffs and dedicated people trying to figure out how do we beat this unusual team think about that as a way to generate another advantage
0: yeah I think Houston is is pretty well positioned in terms of its guards being able to to defend bigs more effectively than most you know guys like Harden guys like Eric Gordon these are really strong guards but it though it, know, Nikola Jokic is just a different kind of cover altogether that level of size and strength that's going to be pretty overwhelming in a lot of those cases. And I think you can pick up fouls. You can target defenders in that way. You can get him away from, you know, a PJ Tucker, for example, if that's your goal. I think the key with Jokic in particular is, You feel a bit more comfortable going deeper into the shot clock if he's the focal point of that because of his passing ability where, you know, even take Joel Embiid, for example, brilliant post player. But I think the deeper you go into the shot clock, the more you are boxed into a particular range of outcomes. It's going to be, you know, either a hook shot. He's going to draw a foul. He might do an up and under. He might go baseline for the turnaround fadeaway. But it really is going to kind of start and stop with him versus Jokic. If you get into the situation where, you know, three, four seconds left on the shot clock, he can still whip it to a wide open shooter. If you fall asleep, he can still find a cutter late in that clock. Even if, you know, you give him a little pressure, show him a little bit of a double, even with that switch. You know, that's that's going to be so fun to watch in terms of, you know, the dynamic between this team that is very intentionally and deliberately challenged almost the validity of the center position in the modern NBA. Versus one of the best centers we have in Jokic. I, I hope those teams get a chance to go at it.
1: I hope they do too. Plenty more to talk about with Rob, but first the message from BetOnline. It is almost March, and you know what that means, college basketball fans. College basketball's elite teams are now fighting to get that best seed come tournament time. And also the NBA is entering its home stretch, and it's such a, just a great time to be a sports fan. And whatever you're into, check out Bet Online and take advantage of one of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use the promo code Podcast One. Tell them you came from us and get a 50% sign-up bonus. Lots of great games coming up: Nuggets, Clippers, Rockets. Celtics, and another Lakers-Pelicans game over the weekend. Also, of course, big games in college basketball feels like almost every day. And also, if you're interested, the XFL. XFL has games on Saturday and Sunday this week. So whether you're going to be watching something no matter what and you want to make it more interesting, or if you think you know something that, you, that is an advantage. You can do either of those things on BetOnline. All you have to do, very easy, visit BetOnline.ag and don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% sign up bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Let's jump to another huge story that has emerged over the last ten or so games in the league. This one is a person rather than a team, though we'll of course talk about the team as well, and that's Zion Williamson. One stat that you had in your piece, which I had kinda it was in the back of my mind, but I hadn't looked into, which was pretty incredible. At that when you wrote when you wrote your Zion piece, he was sixth in the league in terms of fouls drawn per thirty six minutes. He's not sixth anymore. He's third. <laughs> He's third behind two guys most people have heard of Giannis and James Harden and and some might say then this was my first instinct well what about changing it to buy possessions because the Pelicans play notoriously fast and so that can create some things per 36 still third you know like and something that you got into in the piece, which is what I've been trying to analyze with Zion, is the nature of adjustment and development from this point. And that is especially relevant for a player who succeeds in an unusual way. And so then it becomes, okay, do teams teams will do a better job of adjusting to him, even though part of what makes Zion special is that it's very hard to adjust to what he does well. Some ways paralleling James Harden and Russell Westbrook who we just talked about. Superstars in, in their own somewhat unique ways. But the The part of it that I think will get lost in the shuffle a little bit right now and then will become potentially exceedingly obvious in like two to three years is he's going to improve and adjust too. And that arms race if you will is going to be so fascinating because the ways to challenge the ways to even try to slow down Zion are so different from the other trends in the modern NBA as pretty well articulated by the Houston Rockets
0: no it's a great point especially because you know for everything we've seen from Zion and he's you know one of the best players to watch right now just in terms of the the pure spectacle of it He's a guy who very clearly doesn't know what he's doing defensively yet, doesn't know how to use all this strength and speed and athleticism to the maximum effect. And so, for as much as we've seen him, you know, bully, you know, proven veterans, other bigs, ripping rebounds out of guys' hands and, and, you know, pushing them off the block with really apparent ease, we haven't seen him wield any of that stuff on the other side of the ball yet, which is. I mean, that's a terrifying proposition. You know, he really hasn't been able to, you know, he doesn't have the conditioning necessarily to be a big-time rebounder yet. He's still kind of floating around on defense, figuring stuff out there. I think, you know, in certain kind of isolated situations, he's been a little bit better just because he can jump really high. He has clearly incredible timing in terms of blocking shots and things like that. I mean, he spikes a ball differently than anyone else in the league just because of the level he's getting to vertically. But, you know, once he really understands the full extent of his power that's that's where we're going to see something really special which you know, Given what we've already seen, the idea that he could jump up even that much more, that, that's a daunting possibility.
1: It is, especially when thinking about his overall value. And I tried to square when Zion was a prospect before we had any NBA film to work with what his path to being an MVP caliber player was, because he's probably not going to be the initiator, the primary initiator on an offense like it, it can happen. I'm not I'm not writing it off. I think that he should do more of it than he has. So far, and that's not a blame of Alvin Gentry in any way, it's just, that's hard to integrate mid-season, and Gentry did some really nice stuff on that preseason, which we're seeing a little bit now, but then the defensive part fits in there too so basically to me if if he's not going to do that he needs to be able to be good enough at everything else and that doesn't mean like every isolated skill like jump shooting or whatever but he also needs to be exceedingly dominant in one facet and I think what's been so encouraging to me is the, the domination is there and he gets to the free throw line he gets offensive rebounds often on his own misses but he's still he's still getting those and he fundamentally bends the other team's defense already you know Thank mm-hmm. you. 20 games in, in a way that will consistently make his teammates get better opportunities. And there is no guarantee that the teammates will convert set opportunities. That will be a <laughs> lingering question with him, just like it is with Joel Embiid and Ryokic and every other big who has the ball in their hands a lot. But creating those looks, bending bending defenses, is a huge competitive advantage that we actually don't see that much from big men now.
0: Well, and especially the idea that he's already doing this against players who are taller than him, who have been in the league longer than him, who are more seasoned and experienced. He's going against some really proven centers and power forwards and still has that effect. And, you know, that's an incredible place to start. I mean, I really I think what's been the most fun about this whole Zion episode is, you know, the season has kind of gone in these staggered stages where, you know, James Harden started the season just in an incredible place, you know, scoring 39, 40 points a game for weeks on months. Then we kind of transitioned into a stage where, you know, Luka was really dominant and, and playing really great basketball. You know, some of that has come down a little bit just in terms of, you know, some of the streaky shooting. Some of it was injury, but it still has been very good. The Mavericks still a really good team. You know, Damian Lillard had his moment. John Morant and the Grizzlies have had their kind of resurgence and now they've faded back a little bit. There's been, you know, these different kind of staggering waves of things happening. That as someone who's following the league at large, that's what you want to see is you want to see the variety of of stories, of impact of play. And then in the middle of all this, you get Zion just being, you know, dumped into the middle of a season after, you know, recovering from his injury and changing the game in a way that no one else is, you know, in terms of like a literal basketball game has a different effect on it than anyone else who's playing right now. And it starts with exactly what you're laying out in terms of just the, the sheer ability to attract attention, the gravity. I mean, I think there's just an instinctive thing when you see a person that big moving through space that you react to it in a different way. There's just a visceral kind of gut I need to move towards the ball, or I need to get out of the way. Element of it that Zion really has working in his favor, and it makes Pelicans' games incredible to watch. And it, it certainly gives them a great thing to kind of build off going forward.
1: It also creates something that, again, will be hard to grapple with for the next, you know, hopefully ten to fifteen years. We we don't know exactly, but that's how do you how do you slow Zion down? And something you talked a lot, you talked about, and did did a good job with some video in your piece at the Ringer is those transition post ups. It's something that I have become fixated fixated on over the last couple of years uh, in Denver has done a nice job at moments with Paul Millsap but Zion supercharges that because he it is a primary focus of his transition action unless they're you know unless they can basically just like get a dunk or a layup or something like that and the absolutely ridiculously small number of people that can do anything against those post-ups at some point you know and and it might be theoretically if the pelicans get the eight seed what happens in a first round playoff series i think that's you know in in a playoff series is going to have to change the way some teams approach not only defense but approach offense because if if that is something that your team is conceding in including sometimes off a made basket, it's a big problem.
0: And I think it's kind of facilitated by the fact that, you know, I didn't really watch much of Zion's college film. I like to kind of just wait and and see how guys look in the NBA. Um, Mostly I just can't really stand much college basketball. But the one thing that I thought Zion would be a little further along in just based off reputation based on clips here and there is kind of as a grab and go player the idea that he could you know lead a fast break that he could really you know and you would have a player with that kind of force running the floor clearly so much faster than almost any big in the league would give him an incredible advantage and that part of his game has been really sloppy like his handle just is not there yet i think as a passer he sees a lot of good things mostly you know kind of more in a half court or even when he's on the move kind of cutting or rolling he can pick things out so there's some promising signs there but just in terms of the technique of handling trying to thread between a couple of different defenders he's just not there yet so that creates even more opportunity for him to do those transition post-ups it's just run to the front of the rim park your guy and you're going to get the ball and uh, it really is contributing to a lot of those fouls that we talked about earlier you know i think one of the things I kind of hovered around in the piece was the idea that we're really not that far from – if you're a team in the Western Conference, you might have to start thinking about putting a guy on your roster just to try to counter this, just to try to counter Zion specifically. And you, again, there are only so many players with the body type to even you know kind of consider that idea, to, for that to be realistic. But you may have to start looking at guys in free agency differently, even if it's just like, oh, do we sign player A or player B? If player B is potentially better suited to just kind of standing in Zion's way a little bit, bumping him a little bit more, giving a little resistance, and you're a team in the Western Conference over the next you know five to ten years, that might be enough to kind of swing that calculus a little bit, which for a rookie to come in and do that and have that kind of impact is insane.
1: It's extremely rare. And because of his sheer, sheer physical force, it, it could become necessary. And David Griffin has a really challenging job ahead of him. It's an exciting one. I mean, getting Zion. Remember, they didn't have the first, the number one overall pick when he took the job, but it certainly made the job a lot easier and more fun. And I'm fully in support of, of Griffin taking some time to figure out which of his current Pelicans makes sense with Zion. But there is an added pressure to doing these early stages right when there is the potential of having a generational talent. It it makes it a lot easier to get to, you know, let's say like 50, 55 wins and to, to be a relevant playoff team and to get butts in the seats and all of that. But what we have found is that teams that both don't skip steps, but also don't make many mistakes in these early stages are just so much better suited two to three years from now, better situated to take advantage of that. And I mean, you could go a lot of the examples, sadly enough, are more in the negative, you know, the Cavs failing the rebuild around LeBron the first time, which helped lead him to South Beach and New Orleans with Anthony Davis. I mean, they were impatient. They gave up too many resources. They didn't, they didn't really realize that focusing on Davis's second and third years was a mistake considering he was definitely going to be there for five and six because as long as they didn't trade him, he was still going to be there. Those sorts of cautionary tales are extremely important in terms of getting the thought process. But Zion is such an unusual player to build around that I think those are good lessons to heed, but the evaluation stage is still going to be incredibly tough.
0: Yeah, and I think it comes down to, you know, you can make relatively small mistakes, overpay a good player here or there, you know, kind of pinch your resources in this way or that, so long as they aren't complete blunders. And it's like it's you make one really costly mistake early in a player like Zion's career and the domino effect of that can be really devastating. I think we've kind of ended up talking about that a lot this year with the Sixers and the idea of Markel Fultz is kind of the original sin of that team, you know, and it's it's nothing it's not Fultz's fault per se, it's not even necessarily the Sixers' fault. I don't know how they could have possibly anticipated the way everything turned out, but just the fact of what they gave up to get the pick to select Fultz, and the fact that they ended up getting basically nothing for it, ended up having to effectively dump his salary uh, without getting really anything well, and, in return. And not only
1: that, remember something else they lost in it was having to play him and trying to go through those things and having that not work, and that affected their seating and everything else.
0: Absolutely, the opportunity cost of that too, and kind of what it what it could have meant if they were just continuing a pace. Um, or if they had gotten even a league average player in that spot rather than someone who just could not play for them because of health or because of just kind of the the mystery surrounding his condition, you know, that kind of mistake could end up dooming the sixers. we don't we don't know where all this goes. Clearly, they still have incredible talent. They have a lot to work out., uh, but if you make that kind of mistake, even with a guy like Zion, it, it can derail the entire thing. And so I think you're right. It's a very delicate line you have to walk. In terms of you know, player evaluation, in terms of managing your cap, making the right kinds of moves, I, I can almost understand in a certain sense why you know, I think there's a lot of areas in which you could look at well, where uh, Dell Demps went wrong in the previous you know, Anthony Davis era of the Pelicans but the idea of kind of looking for a slightly more risk averse route by signing some more veteran guys signing guys like Drew Holiday or you know bringing in guys like Drew Holiday who are a little bit more proven just to trying to avoid those disasters of course the problem with that was they ended up hitting some of those disasters anyway between injuries between you know Tyreek Evans career not quite materializing they never really got the pieces that they wanted on the floor anyway. And so, I mean, it, it just shows, goes to show there's so many ways that all of this can go wrong, even when, as you mentioned, you have LeBron or you have Anthony Davis or you have Zion Williamson. It's a really high degree of difficulty regardless.
1: It's also going to take time to figure out what what skill sets are most important to have and what things are important to avoid in terms of a player next to Zion. I mean, some of the, the hallmarks of basically any good team basketball player are going to be there. You know, you don't necessarily want a, like, let's say, like a higher usage wing necessarily. I mean, because Zion's going to have the ball in his hands. Everybody needs to be able to space the floor, especially if his jump shot doesn't ever come around, which is possible, but not definite. And then the defensive end is going to be more complicated because we'll need to figure out exactly what his place is. But a big-picture question that it, that will evolve over time and there are a bunch of different examples we could go through with this is something that i like to think about especially for bigs and porzingis was a good articulation of this for me zion is, will be his own which is in the abstract what type of player do they fare better what type of player do they fare better against or if you want to phrase that in a different way which advantage in their physical skill set are they better at utilizing so with porzingis Something that I noticed relatively early for him was he wasn't great at using his size to do anything other than shoot jump shots over people offensively. And I mean, we've seen some of that This is the going back to the Rick Carlisle post-up thing or going to teams being successful with smalls on him. Those, those are there, but then he can use, you know, against bigger guys. He's actually, he has some, he's decently moving with the ball in his hands compared to like the stiffs of the world. And with Zion, that question becomes fascinating because he, I think the smaller players are basically untenable. You know, I, I mean, you brought up Gary Harris in the piece, but you can get a lot bigger than him, and they're still going to have problems. But then, when you get really big, if you if teams start putting the Go Bears and the Joel Embiid's of the world on on Zion then you start to see the speed advantage and they're not mutually exclusive you know players players use the combination russell westbrook's an amazing example of this like it's not just you're not pressing one button or the other it's not tech mobile but there is a an element to Zion's game that is extremely important from that respect because what he's better at and what he's worse at affects who you put next to him in the front court because if it ends up being that he's better with the speed with the size advantage playing him with the center could end up working out you know there will be some spacing issues depending on the circumstance but if the teams are going to have to then make different decisions of, on who they're going to put on Zion, who they're going to put on that other player. And if if it ends up being the speed advantage, then maybe that changes around. So I'm really interested in how Alvin Gentry fiddles with that over the course of this year.
0: That's why I think maybe the most important thing for, for the rest of the season, for next season, maybe even for another season after that, is putting him in a variety of scenarios where you can fairly evaluate those things. Because part of the problem, you know, I think there are are certain bigs in the league who you can identify and say what that guy needs beside him in a front court partner is exactly this. It's you know a, sh- a shot blocker who can also shoot threes. It's you know a post up threat who can kind of balance his game to the interior so that our guy can shoot threes or whatever it is. You want kind of that give and take and, and this ability to kind of do everything between your power forward and center spots. Do a little bit of everything and be able to control for all the matchups and outcomes you need to control for. And with Zion, we don't know what those things are yet because some of it we don't know what he's going to be as a defender. Is he going to be ultimately a guy who you want kind of hanging inside so that he can you know use his strength so that he can be a shot blocker? Is he going to be a guy who covers space really well, kind of like a, a supercharged Draymond Green type? Like, There's so many different outcomes for him defensively that we don't know what to pair him with on that end just yet. And then offensive, I think your point is great in terms of if opposing if opposing teams are by default and out of desperation putting centers on him just to get more length at the rim, then that changes what you want in your center because now your center, if you want to play another big with Zion Williamson, is going to be going up against smaller players. Then you know the idea that they would have a post game or at least the you know the faculties to score on a short roll or something like that would be more important. And so these things are going to be always changing over the course of this initial stage of, of Zion's career because our understanding of what he's going to be capable of is going to be changing.
1: Right, and we'll have to keep an eye on that. Something else that I want to talk touch on with the Pelicans from a team-building perspective and those who know me know that pick protections and pick obligations are one of my favorite touchstones. And it is – As of right now, and this will change over the course of time, that is something else that makes this Pelicans rebuild fundamentally different than the build around AD. Because in the Davis deal, as I recall, the Pelicans... Were they the Hornets then? I can't remember. Whatever they were at that point in time, they I think they were pretty neutral in terms of their draft assets. And then they gave up a bunch. You know, They gave up those two picks that became Drew, and they gave up assets for Omar Ashik. They gave up a first for Omar Ashik as well. And also, building quickly, one of the other big reasons why I was critical of it is that it didn't allow New Orleans to build up draft capital that could then kind of backfill some of their depth stuff later on in, in Davis's tenure. So you don't... Don't keep a bunch of first-round picks to be good the next year. You keep them so that when they're in their third and fourth years and have figured out what they're doing in the league, they can help your team in their cost control. And first of all, the Pelicans already have some really worthwhile pieces there in terms of I like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes. I'm less I'm less convinced of, of his fit in the modern NBA and his fit with Zion in particular, though it could work. I mean, we, we don't know yet. But remember that they also... Got They got Didi, who's who's playing overseas right now. They also have these Lakers picks. And the Lakers picks aren't going to convey right away. So it's going to be a fundamentally different dynamic than some of these other ones. You know, They're not going to be getting those reinforcements. But remember that this was a part of the sales pitch for the 76ers back in the day when they made the trade with the Kings, when Sam Hinkie made the trade with the Kings, that when they cleared the space for Rondo and Sacramento gave up that unprotected pick, which ended up being less valuable for... Actually actually it was less valuable for Cleveland than it came up because that was traded to Boston for in the Tatum Fultz trade and then was I believe was traded to Cleveland in the Kyrie Irving deal. But th- tying your fortunes in terms of draft capital to another team as well gives you an out so if the pelicans are better sooner they can still get potentially good players later on now it's challenging when that team that you're tying yourselves to is the lakers when the lakers are a title contender right now and have the resources to potentially be there moving forward though that is never a guarantee of anything in an individual year or in the collective so that is another dynamic here is that griffin he's starting to me from a fundamentally better place in terms of resources, not only that, but also the players on the roster. You know, they have the Lonzo Balls and Josh Hart's and Brandon Ingram who are all young players more on Zion's timeline than New Orleans had around Davis?
0: Yeah, and the fact that we haven't even really touched on those other young guys yet, I think that's a pretty critical piece of this. You know, the the, the draft picks are really important. Give you, you know, as you mentioned, not only are you kind of hedging your success against that of another team, which you always want to do if you have the option uh gives you a little bit more trade equity things like that but the fact that you know like Brandon Ingram may or may not be a great long-term fit next to Zion I think the the initial signs are pretty encouraging of the ways that they they could grow together but even if he's not at this point he's clearly a really excellent player and the kind of player who could get you a better fitting piece in return who's going to have a market um who's going to you know interest a lot of teams around the league And I think Lonzo has been a really great fit next to Zion yet is a great facilitator for those kinds of transition post-ups just is willing to throw longer passes than many other guards in the league. And I think that really suits what Zion does very well. Josh Hart's the kind of piece who could plug into almost any team in the league and be helpful in some way. And that's, you know, then, then you get into Jackson Hayes, then you get into all these other, you know, whether Nikhil Alexander Walker pans out as any kind of useful player or not in the long term, we don't know. So to start from that place with Zion, I think you know the Pelicans are very well positioned. They're positioned to be pretty good in the immediate, to be challenging against opponents based on the way they run, based on what Zion can do specifically, and how hard that is to guard. But they are protected somewhat by just the wealth and diversity of all of these young players and the, you know the draft picks they've been able to acquire from the Lakers. You balance all that out, you know this really is a, a good starter kit. Again, it's not foolproof. Nothing ever is. You know, you there's still lots of pitfalls you need to avoid but you really have to like if you're the Pelicans kind of where you're starting here in terms of your canvas.
1: Right, and I also like that they have someone like Nicola Melli who's another archetype that they can try out with Zion and see if it works, and Zion right now is going to be fundamentally different than he'll be in two to three years, so you don't want to make any definitive pronouncements, but one other thing I want to mention with New Orleans, and this is another pitfall why none of these things are foolproof, is the young players they got from the Lakers, many of whom have, have really blossomed this year, and I think there, there are a variety of reasons why that the case. One challenge is that those players are going to hit restricted free agency pretty soon. I mean, Brandon Ingram is this year, he's going to get paid, and we know he's going to get paid. And that makes it more pressing to do some of this evaluation, not only because... There, it adds a level of volatility, but also because these players are about to become properly paid. And it is a lot easier if you decide someone isn't a fit to move off them when they're a value contract than to move off them when they're properly paid. And the restricted process doesn't always work perfectly, but it often gets pretty close. So it's... if. Lonzo Ball is not right for it and now you brought up some of the reasons that he might be or if Josh Hart maybe he's a good player but maybe he's better somewhere else or what he brings isn't as useful for them as it would be for another team then you move on but the other reason for that is Drew Holiday and Holiday his his variability is different because he can be an unrestricted free agent in the class of 2021. And some of that is just open communication with, with Holiday to see what he wants. And he is under no obligation. It's not like he's under oath or anything like that to tell them the truth. He's not under obligation to say anything whatsoever. But considering everything else... I wonder what Griffin's going to do to assess that situation. Because if, whether it's that you don't think Drew Holiday's a fit or you think that he's going to leave, then it's as painful as it might be. It's probably this summer that they have to make that move.
0: And another guy who can just fit on so many different teams because of his flexibility between the guard spots, because he can guard, I don't know, one through six. Like Drew Holiday is, is so good and so flexible in that way where you could really see him improving a lot of different teams. I I mean, all this kind of circles back to the Rockets, I think, in a way, because you know really what Houston did this season was reevaluate which supporting skill sets around James Harden and Russell Westbrook are most important. And they were operating for a couple of years under the assumption that a pick-and-roll big was an important part of that formula and then decided, you know, what if it's not? What What if it's more important for us to space the floor? What if we get more out of this if we take away – this guy who, while it is useful as a lob threat, if you take away the lob, isn't doing a lot for our offense in particular. And the Pelicans will have kind of equivalent moments for that. And as you mentioned, there are these various timelines that they have to consider things, whether it's the restricted free agency of guys like Harden Ingram, whether it's you know this up- upcoming kind of deadline of sorts in terms of what you're going to do with Holiday and when you have all these different points of evaluation you have a much longer timeline hopefully with zion in terms of understanding what works around him best at different stages in his career there are no right answers to this but you you really have to hope that you know between your evaluation on staff whether co- your coaching and your front office whether it's your scouting in terms of players you know personnel scouting around the league you could hope to bring guys in or, or you know prospect scouting for future draft picks but what the the future talent might look like that works best around zion there's so much left to suss out, and I think it's good to be in that position. It's good to have the flexibility and the options and the ability to, to shift the direction you need on the fly, but that doesn't stop these deadlines and these, and these decision points from coming at you.
1: That's a great point, and there is another connection between these two franchises that – potentially – that I want to mention and kind of just throw out there into the world, and that is – Mike D'Antoni is a coaching free agent after this year. Mike D'Antoni has a connection with David Griffin from his from their from their time in, in Phoenix. He incidentally also has a connection with Alvin Gentry for that same time period, and could be looking at. And this is another one of those like crazy how these dynamics change. Could be looking at New Orleans as a more stable and superior ownership situation. And incidentally, Alvin Gentry and and Mike D'Antoni share an agent, Warren Ligari, and. I could see D'Antoni being energized by figuring out the Zion puzzle. And I think there is a distinct chance that it ends up being the next step for both player and team.
0: That would be really interesting. I mean, just get knowing, you know, talking to Mike even a little bit, I think you can get a sense of how he treats those kinds of challenges, the way his brain works and lights up at the chance to coach. I mean, anyone wants to coach Zion Williamson, it's not a revolutionary thought, um, but someone who has been as creative as he's been with, you know, James Harden and Chris Paul, and now James Harden and Russell Westbrook, going back even further, you know, look at every stop along his way, he's found ways, you know, primarily with guards, but really what he's done when you boil it down is found ways to maximize the best talent on the floor. And Zion has the potential not just to be the best talent on his own team, but the best talent in any game he plays in.
1: Well, and, and he's done that with unusual or eccentric talent too. You know, like figuring out how to maximize Russell Westbrook is a different challenge than Zion, but the th- but the, the type of brain that finds a solution is kind of similar for both.
0: Yeah, or maximizing, you know, take Boris Diaw, who at the time was sure. you know dra- drafted to be a shooting guard, ended up as Mike D'Antoni's starting center, um and, a, you know, like a point center effectively. So... He has so much experience with those kinds of players. I think the trick in this is, you know, I I think if you want to bring him in, in some function in conjunction with Alvin could be interesting. Uh, I I have a hard time believing that he would replace Alvin. If something came down to that, not to say that Alvin's job is in any way in danger, but you know, when a coach like Mike Mike D'Antoni becomes a free agent, sometimes plans get thrown out the window.
1: Right. And it it is a, just the the nature of it. and, And I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I have no particular intel on it. It's just there are dots that I started connecting, and there are certain circumstances where when I start connecting dots, I can't unconnect them. And so I wanted to to make sure that it was out there. We've already been going for a while. I I just kind of want to open it up a little bit. Are there any other trends or dynamics that you're seeing around the league We're about a month and a half from the playoffs starting that you feel are worth discussing?
0: I mean, there's still a lot going on. I think in a lot of seasons, you would hope that by this stage, things would have settled down to a degree for some teams that you clearly have, you know, like Milwaukee, we we know more or less how good they are, how great they are, really. Uh, you know, teams like the Raptors have obviously proved themselves. But then there's some of these teams, whether it's the Jazz or the Heat, these teams that have kind of like have really fallen off in terms of the things you would expect them to do well, that are still pretty puzzling to me. I, I still don't know what to make of kind of the middle to third tier Of both conferences. I think both are still kind of in a weird place. We can say pretty confidently which teams are at the top, but everything else is still up for grabs, which may be kind of some of the reasoning behind why a team like the Rockets would do what they did.
1: It could be, and also the incentives of the people involved, you know, Maury and D'Antoni wanting to go after their own ideals. I think that this is an opportunity to do that, and it might be, you know, some one way to interpret it is that it's as a last stand. Some could interpret it as just something that is worth doing, and the crazy answer is that they both might be right, you know, we and it could have been intended for one and end up being the other because maybe they win the title and everybody comes back and Toman Fertitta gives him huge raises and everything like that. It's entirely possible. Another thing that I wanted to discuss briefly, uh, Nate and I recorded, we call it the Crystal Ball Podcast, which we looked two years into the future. So that was the 21-22 season. And something that I found absolutely fascinating, I mean, the top is the top, and, and we've talked about those guys a lot, not on this podcast, but in other, in other ones, and you and I in our own spaces. But something that I realized over the course of that, because we do, of course, we spend a lot of time on the best players and the best teams. But something else that we do is trying to predict the worst teams. And that is, you know, and there are a lot of different things there. It could be a lack of flexibility. It could be just not having good talent, or maybe they're going to tear things down between now and then. And something that was just incredible to me is that all 15 teams in the Western Conference have some sort of reason to believe that they won't be one of the worst teams in the league that could be Devin Booker or De'Aaron Fox on their teams or the Blazers because they'll have Damon CJ. And so when I was putting that together, I only really seriously considered four teams and none of them were in the Western Conference. And that got me thinking about a couple things. One, the nature of importance of ownership and being general managers and everything else. But the other part is that draft lottery. Remember both Memphis and New Orleans probably would have been in a they definitely would have been in a very different place if things had just gone according to form according to the numbers and that's how quickly things can turn is that you whether it's due to lottery reform or just due to luck you can argue one or both in this circumstance that again those two potential star superstar megastar players ended up in the west
0: instead of the east when that both of their teams have been just so far ahead of schedule i think is is a testament to that and these i mean they really things do really turn on a trifle at times on you know lottery odds on uh, and like to your point about which of these teams could potentially be the worst team in the league in a couple years, I'm sure the Warriors didn't expect to be the worst team in the league this year. You know, some of it's gonna come down to who is healthy that year and who is not, um especially when you're talking about superstar talent. You know, the Warriors I think were especially thin in that regard, just given their their roster situation. But I think the West overall, I, I like that about it that there are so many no, Not only does every team have a case to not be one of the bottom teams, but the cases are all built on such different things. You know, like a team like San Antonio, for example, you wouldn't look at as having, you know, oh, they have, you know, this great – this single great player. They don't have – you know, they have a Zion Williamson or a Devin Booker or even a Carl Towns or whoever it is. Obviously that player will get better over time. They'll be able to put some pieces around them. They couldn't possibly be that good or that bad to say. The Spurs aren't really in that position, but I think there's enough – kind of faith in the structure there even still even after you know a relative down year and just like organizational competence to be able to stay out of that spot and in organizational incentives as a team that really has never expressed an interest in being that bad to save in one occasion to draft tim duncan effectively and so you know every team is kind of coming at this a little bit differently in terms of why they would be good or why they would really want to avoid being bad And that kind of diversity of thought and incentive, I think, is really healthy for the league.
1: I agree. And it's also encouraging that we had this dynamic that, again, the Crystal Ball podcast is what part of helped me realize it last year and two years ago, that there's this gulf of because of a couple of bad draft classes where between the, the current prime guys like... Steph Curry and James Harden obviously LeBron's a little bit older than those guys and Durant would be included in this worry healthy and then the kind of the rising guard who also hadn't established themselves a couple years ago some of them are in the process of doing so right now and really that's what makes Giannis so intriguing is that Giannis at 25 is the only real player that we know of that's like already an MVP candidate who is in that sort of an age range and so what what happened I was a little bit I was getting a little bit down a couple years ago just thinking like who's going to take up the mantle and we're starting to get those answers. And what's so surprising is we're getting those answers from guys that are genuinely young, like Luca. I mean, Luca just celebrated his birthday. He's a remarkably young guy. He just turned... He, that was 21, right? Like, yeah. he just turned 21. Zion is 19. Ja. And none of these guys are... I mean, is the closest because he's an MVP candidate already. But there are no guarantees in this world that any of those players are going to stay healthy, much less rise the way that we thought. But I'm so happy that there are more potential guys and also we're seeing kind of some players who are capable of filling out the all NBA ranks. I mean, the rise of Jason Tatum, the rise of Devin Booker and and Donovan Mitchell and all that. And so, I had this I, I had this fear that that there was going to be a, a talent drop even at even especially if some of these the guys that are getting into their 30s didn't age well and it looks like they're going to. But now I feel a lot more confident that it's going to be in good hands.
0: It's an interesting thought in terms of kind of filling out the all-nba ranks i mean i don't mean to put you on the spot but i'm curious you know if if you could flash forward three or five years in the future who do you think is the guy who right now might seem surprising but could kind of be an all-nba talent even if it's more of a third team or a second team capacity
1: it's interesting because the guy that I'm thinking of in the modern NBA, in the current NBA, at, is is somebody like Chris Middleton, who never showed that kind of star potential when he was in college or even his early years in the pros, but had a skill set that if he built around it and got better as a complete player, could be an important phase. And also Middleton being in the right place at the right time, ending up on the Bucks when, when Giannis was there. That's He's certainly benefiting from that. Uh I could see this again. I wouldn't say he's obscure, but like I could see Jalen Brown being that type of player. Um, I am very interested in whether you know, like, as the league get, if the league ends up getting a little bit smaller on the perimeter, which seems possible, just because we don't have that many of these six, seven, six, eight guys that are capable of doing things that are much younger than Giannis. Like, we haven't seen those guys step up yet. Maybe Hunter or somebody else does. That maybe somebody like Josh Hart, who I don't think has that capacity as an offensive player. I don't think that he's going to do it. But like, basically, what I'm thinking is, could some of those guys who we thought of as being too small for the three, could some of them slide into that position if the league gets a little bit smaller sort of in a way like what happened to pj tucker where pj tucker did improve and deserves a massive amount of credit for it but also the league kind of came to him a little bit and those players are really hard to predict and the gms that get that right are going to do really really well
0: they're, they're i mean they're extremely hard to predict i, I remember having conversations pretty re- you know it, it seems pretty recently maybe when tucker was within his latter stages with the suns or even the raptors where some people were talking about him, some people in the league as, you know, one of the worst offensive players that's in a regular rotation. And then the game tweaked a little bit. He found his way into a perfect system. And suddenly, you know, he wasn't just, you know, a small forward wing stopper, but this kind of do-it-all utility defender who could really hold a team together. I, you know, it really is, it does come down to that, I think, in terms of that's a really a really smart way to put it of the league coming to him and kind of identifying those talents I mean I've been try- I've been trying to think on it too. Like Jonathan Isaac is a name that comes to mind in terms of a guy who is not there yet, clearly has had his injury troubles, but if he becomes kind of a defensive player of the year caliber defender, which I think is not outside the realm of possibility, could his offensive shot at it, yeah. yeah, could his offensive game develop to the point where he could get in on an all NBA conversation, you know, he wouldn't have to do that much under those circumstances. You know, he could be more of a facilitator or a spot scorer. Um, I think a lot of people have looked at Michael Porter Jr. this season and wondered what his potential could be. I mean, he maybe maybe oh, that's yeah. a more obvious option, just given you know more of a blue chip type at this point. Uh, but maybe he comes along even faster than we anticipate. It's th- that's always kind of the most interesting thing about the league is who. You know, not only who is, is at the top, who's challenging LeBron as the best player in the league or Giannis or, you know, whoever that next guy is gonna be, but who are those second and third tier guys who who no one saw coming? Who is who's the Kyle Lowry who's just like shooting up the ranks and becoming all of a sudden instrumental to some franchise that oh, by the way, won a title last year.
1: Yeah, that, that it will be so important to the to the shape of the league. And I mean, we see those players just have an outsized impact. I mean, you could go with Iguadala on the Warriors, any number of guys on those Cavs and Raptors teams. I mean, the rise of Pascal Siakam was exceedingly important. And I want to end this with a thought, because we've talked so much about these players, that I actually ended a piece that isn't coming out until Monday. So this will be early for the people who listen to this over the weekend. That So I, I wrote this piece about the 2021 20, free agent class, which is, getting a lot of a lot of excitement among front office people, because the star power is legitimately awe-inspiring. I mean, yeah, potentially could have Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, and maybe, maybe Anthony Davis, who's in there more thematically than I mean, he could sign a one-plus-one. There are a couple ways it could happen. But what what I got into in the piece was this idea that it, that is an incredibly high-powered group. But also worth noting that four of those five, functionally in some way, chose the team they're on very recently. You know, LeBron has actually had the oldest choice of those in the summer of 2018, and so generally and those teams are all very competitive and all that so it might be it might be a little bit foolhardy to expect them to leave this early it could happen we saw Kevin Durant leave for Brooklyn you know after three years with the Warriors you know there, there are ways that this can occur but what I ended the piece with was this very current kern- kernel of an idea that I think I think you might have some thoughts on which is I, I just threw an idea out there which was maybe what happens over the next year and a half is not the disintegration of any of those teams or an injury that Shapes it. But maybe, just maybe, one of these young players gets to the point where one of those free agents sees that they would rather be somewhere that is competitive in the future rather than competitive in the immediate, and that the future might be coming right away if they get in. And so that means potentially playing with Zion in New Orleans, playing with Luka in Dallas, and both of those teams, along with a few others that are really interesting, could have max cap space very easily in the summer of 21.
0: It would be really interesting to see just because it would be so different from the way free agency has been conceptualized and and actualized pretty much to this point. I think you can maybe look at a couple of different examples where guys have had the freedom by free agency or trade to pick their own team and chose to join a younger star and, you know, star in waiting or an upcoming superstar. And almost all of them have some, you know, some other reason to explain why it happened that way. Like, for example, LeBron going back to Cleveland and effectively choosing to play with Kyrie Irving. That's not really why he went back to Cleveland. It was just kind of a thing that happened, and a, you know a bit of circumstance that I think worked out, and i 'm sure sure was appealing in certain ways, but it wasn 't as if he was choosing a random team in the NBA and it, it was the one with Kyrie Irving on it, therefore he signed there more complicated situation than that a guy choosing to play with Luca or choosing to play with Zion i mean these young stars are so far ahead of where they honestly have any right to be that I think it, it makes that conver- it kind of forces that conversation into the consideration of a free agent you I don't know how you could look around the league and at all your options, and not look at the chance to play with Luka Doncic as something that would absolutely be appealing. And you know, regardless of however you feel about the Mavericks or Kristaps Porzingis or any of the other pieces, just that specific pairing of you know another star and Luka could be so powerful. And you know, we've seen that kind of come up. Uh, you know, they talked about in the hoop collective. I think in terms of you know uh, Giannis and 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 Luca and that specific pairing, and and you know, what if this is a thing that happened? Uh, that would be an incredible outcome, just a, from a basketball standpoint. And there are, you know, Zion is one of those guys too. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see whatever the next kind of phase of player empowerment is. Uh, Because we've, we've seen, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, for example, kind of maneuver their way to the Clippers this past summer. But what is kind of the next expression of that power? If, you know, when their contracts are up with the Clippers, what if Kawhi and Paul George decide that they want to continue playing together, but somewhere else, and they kind of jump ship together? Uh, I think that's, certainly something that could be in the realm of possibility as long as they can have a a productive experience as teammates and that would leave the Clippers in a really unfortunate position given all the draft equity that they gave up to get Paul George you know LeBron and AD could certainly do the same thing if they wanted I don't you know I don't anticipate players like some mass exodus from LA just given everything that that city has to offer to a very famous uh, high-profile professional athlete seems like a pretty great place to be but if they decided for whatever reason that they wanted to spend a couple years in New York, that they wanted to spend a couple years in Miami, that they want to spend a couple years in Chicago, or, you know, take your pick of any any market that they would have interest in, I think players will have an opportunity to maybe move in conjunction with one another in, in you know increasingly interesting ways.
1: The other way to, that it could end up happening for both the Mavericks and the Pelicans is theoretically, instead of waiting it out and seeing who they can get in free agency, they could also trade for somebody who's already under contract. And they would probably have to give up significant resources. But remember how the passage of time could end up affecting this for the Pelicans. And they – and. and As much as people want to lament, denigrate things like tampering, a fundamental part of the way this business works is that teams generally understand who's interested in playing for them. It doesn't come out of the blue. It's not that on June 30th, player and team, all of a sudden there's this like, you know, it's like on a, on a dating app where all of a sudden, oh, you both swipe the same direction. Oh, we're both interested. It doesn't happen out of the blue like that. And that sort of preliminary intel, not that it's necessarily binding. I mean, you could see players change their mind. You could see all sorts of things. That will be so exceedingly important because there will be certain players that are available, but I think all of them would would rather, especially when you look at the star talent that could be available in the 2020 free, 21 free agent class, they would prefer to sign somebody because then you don't have to give up anything for him but I, I'd be interested in what some of the pivots are because of the idea of use it or lose it space you know for and especially Dallas because Cuban is more in tune to the use it or lose it and would be willing to spend on top of it and then the reason why it's use it or lose it for Dallas is Luca hits for, hits his new contract the next year so that means there is a degree of space that will be vaporized once he's on a max contract and has a big cap hold because he was the third pick in the draft and that part of it you know not only how how, how deep in the rooms do they get do they get him who? Who makes it to free agency? Do, does Dallas like get into the final two even on any of these guys? But then let's say they get none of them. What happens next? Do they pivot to somebody like Victor Oladipo, who's a pending free agent? Or do they go with somebody who's already under contract? And that's when the Pelicans draft hall could end up yielding some fruit. And remember that at that point, it'll be closer to becoming reality, whether it's their own picks or those Lakers picks.
0: I think the use it or lose it element of this is particularly interesting to me. And it kind of highlights, really circles back to a theme that we've been dancing around this whole time, which is that this stuff is really hard. You know, running a team, building a team, sustaining a contender is really challenging work. And a lot of it, you know, I think it's very easy to, you know, look at cap sheets, try to chart a team's way forward and and build, you know, pick and choose kind of your pieces to build an idealized team in the way that, you know, a an online general manager can do. And that's fun. And it's a good thought exercise. But that element of it of you know, kind of expiring windows for your cap space, for your opportunity, the idea that we really need to spend this money this summer before our stars, you know, extension kicks in before we need to resign this really good young player on our team, whatever it is, you know, we have this very limited window to do this very important thing. And then overlaying on that, you have a free agency class that I mean, look, for example, at the free agency class of 2020, even before this great class in 2021. 2020 doesn't really have a lot to offer you. And if this is your summer to have use it or lose it space, you may end up really overspending or just ending up with a player who's not satisfying exactly what you needed all because the timing of it just didn't quite work out. And I think there's so many cases in recent NBA history of, you know, contenders who really broke through. I mean, the idea that the warriors were able to sign kevin durant because of a situational cap spike you know like it doesn't get more kind of serendipitous than that i know there's a lot of planning involved and care taken to make sure that that could happen in the way that it did but there are all these different variables that challenge your ability to put a cogent team together on a consistent basis and yet when you have Zion, when you have Russell Westbrook and James Harden, when you have Luka Doncic, you still have to go about this and, you know, build all these pub these kind of puzzle pieces together in a three dimensional way, accounting for, you know, these rapidly evaporating windows in which you need to use cap space to sign a starting wing or starting center or good bench help or whatever it is. It's 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 really tough work. I think we really don't give the general managers and presidents across the league enough credit for the ones who are actually able to make things happen
1: agreed on all fronts and also think about how even if you lay the best plans you might have to adjust on the fly again i mean i think that 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 happens all the time and the teams that believe in their hype or that don't that don't work aggressively to squeeze every margin aren't going to have sustained success. You know, they, they can still do well for, for bits of time, of course, if you have star talent or anything else. And being able to be versatile, be light on your feet is so challenging, especially when you think about all the emotional connections and the successes and failures that you've had with these human beings. Like, that's the other part of this that's so different. And the human element of it is something that took a little while for me to get because I came at it from more of that online GM sort of perspective, but it was... Going back to somebody who's a member of that 2021 free class, it was LeBron in 2010 that that got that for me. It was the idea that you need to look at so many elements and also understand what you don't know that could be going on. That could be the, the chapel connection, the Team USA stuff between the eventual Warriors or the Miami Heat guys and Team USA stuff two years before. And those elements public or non-public, are just so pivotal to all of this as well. So it is laying the plans and doing all that, but it's also, you know, as much as we hate to say it for something that is a big business and, and everything else, some of it comes down to things that are that will never be in your control.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it was, I mean, saying it in terms of being light on your feet and the importance of that as a franchise, is inarguable. You know, your ability to maximize or to, to capitalize on the situations that come up, oh, James Harden is available via trade, oh, Paul George is available via trade, whatever it may be, when these stars come up, your ability to mobilize quickly and take advantage of that, or if it's taking advantage of you know a, a B-level star or a C-level starter or whatever it may be, you have to be able to kind of work that into your plan very quickly and adapt in that way. But being light on your feet in that sense, you know, keeping your cap sheet clean and flexible really does run contrary to running a basketball team. I mean, we, we talked a lot about PJ Tucker, for example, in this conversation, and how you know, how crucial he is to the Rockets. And the Rockets have him at a great number. And he's expressed repeatedly the fact that he should be paid more, that he would like an extension, that these things are important to him to be financially compensated and rewarded in that way as he should. And yet, the Rockets are able to do the things they do because he is underpaid. Specifically, because they have t- you know they have this employee who is operating below his market value. And they were able to work that into their mix, and it's you know that's a great p- bit of basketball decision making. But in terms of personnel management, you're now you now have this player on your team who, while uh, you know, clearly a great professional, willing to show up to work every day, willing to you know really dig in. And you, you, I mean, you won't find many players in the league who are trying harder on a possession to possession basis, who have more focus than a guy like Tucker. And yet, this is also something that's very clearly on his mind and weighing on him. And so. You know, having that flexibility while also managing the people in your organization, whether it's, you know, coaches on lame duck contracts, whether it's, you know, obviously the players at varying levels, whether it's, you know, getting prospects but you don't have room for them and you have to bounce them to the G League to develop a little bit and managing their egos. I mean, it really never stops in terms of the work of, of maintaining and pruning and running a team in that way.
1: It doesn't, and unfortunately, this conversation probably should because I know that if I go down this <laughs> rabbit hole and the name the, the name that was screaming through my head is Isaiah Thomas for when you were yes. saying the T.J. Tucker story, for better and for worse, and we could go down all of those, but we, we I value your time too much. So thank you so much, and it was an absolute pleasure.
0: Thanks, Danny, as always.
1: Thanks again to Rob Mahoney for taking the time to come on. You can of course read him at The Ringer and you can also follow him on Twitter at Rob Mahoney R-O-B-M-A-H-O-N-E-Y Really appreciate him coming on. Always a a great conversation especially with all of the excellent work that he's done recently. Gave us a lot of fodder and I mean I can talk with Rob about plenty of other things as well as, as we proved during the show. So definitely do check out his work. In some ways for me this feels like the calm before For the storm, not only in terms of the playoff push coming up, but also college basketball getting in and i i haven't decided yet what my approach is going to be during the ncaa tournament also with this weird draft class i might just watch more for my entertainment purposes and less as a draft analyst we'll see i haven't i haven't pieced it all the way together i will of course talk with sam vicini at some point hopefully between now and then to help maybe help clarify my thought process here so you can keep an eye on that i, I don't know how soon that's going to be but it'll happen at some point if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can leave a rating or a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's totally great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, if you use something else, you can leave a review both places. Also, you can check out Spotify. You can send a link to our show on Spotify. And if you do, you can follow the Real Jam Radio show page. That way you'll get new episodes as they come out and find them in your library. So it's a new place for the show to be. We've been asked about it for a while and we are up there. So that's pretty exciting. If If you aren't listening through Spotify now and you want to, you can, which is great. Also, word of mouth is super important. And subscribing and downloading, whether that's through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else, like just having it go into your podcast player whenever it comes out. Real Jam Radio will never be reliable in terms of the day of the week because I just, I don't have that kind of control over my schedule and my guests don't either. So that's why you subscribe. That's why you download. But the single most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors, BetOnline. Go to BetOnline.ag and use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. The cat if you have any feedback on Real Jam Radio, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do so. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I don't promise that I'll respond, though I do try. And got some really nice stuff on the Tears podcast to do with Matt Moore, which I genuinely love doing, but I love getting the feedback too because even though I don't need more motivation, it's nice to have it. I should probably send more of that to Matt than I do, but I'm sure he would appreciate it too. You can also check out, I have I have some other work, a new piece at The Athletic, laying out some, some of their The Warrior's specific stuff, Iguadala trade exception, Curry extension, all that. And then I have a new piece that is submitted and will probably be released on Monday about the coming... In 2021 free agent class and the star heavy appeal and some other thoughts that I had on it, kind of to set that table as I set the table for the 2020 offseason because it's going to affect how front offices think about this. Also, of course, dunked on Nate and I did a couple of really fun ones this week, including a gamer, our small forward rankings, which came out on Thursday night, Friday morning, and then we did our crystal ball, which is looking two years into the future and making some predictions. And that was really fun and thinking about how the league is going to be different actually helped fuel that 2021 piece that. That I, I wrote for the athletics. You can check that out there. So, lots of stuff going on. Also, did that live show with NBA.com with NBA Front Court on Monday, which was a great experience. I can't tell you exactly how to access it, but maybe some of you can. I think people with international league pass actually have the easiest pathway to do so. But that is enough rambling for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.